Good morning, everybody. Great, great worship again this morning. And I need to, I need to admit, um, I'm not sure whose child it was, but there was a moment in that last song, Alex began to play, and I had my eyes closed, and all of a sudden, in my mind, I heard a Hammond B3 organ. I don't know if you're familiar with that is, but it has a rotating horn, and I opened my eyes because I was like, I didn't know our keyboard had that setting, but it was a child crying in the same key. So that is a fantastic, that was awesome. Uh, so appreciate Connor uh, uh, helping us with worship this morning. That was a really cool moment for me. I don't know if anybody else got to, to have that experience, but uh, it, it got me going. We, Bethy and I were on a team one time, a worship team that had a Hammond B3, and it was, uh, it was good times. Uh, always good to have a little rock in your worship. So Anyway, uh, this morning we're going to wrap up our series on eldership. Um, we're going to finish today by looking at the difference between uh, what it means to be an elder versus uh, a deacon. There's some, uh, I don't, wouldn't say confusion, but there are just different ways that people approach both of those things. And so I wanted us to spend a significant amount of time before we, before we move forward looking at the differences between those two. Um, if you want to flip to it, we're going to start this morning in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But um, I just want to, to, to just share a few things before we get there. I like to, to do this this morning. Um, you know, the kids' video is on how we can serve one another. Um, and then the scripture this morning that Leah shared uh, from Matthew, uh, talking about Jesus saying that we are to be servants to all. Uh, just again, the Lord pointing us all in the same directions because we've talked about this a couple of years ago about what it means for us as a church to be a deacon. Um, and that is a, a, a servant leader in the church. And so again, just the Lord pushing us all in the same direction. And, and that is significant to me and I hope it is for you as well. Um, as most of us know, in the culture in which we live, particularly in the Southern Baptist Church, most churches uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention have deacons. Um, however, how they define that role, and I think how we define that role, can be different. But what I want us to do today, instead of us comparing opinions or theologies from different churches, instead of you just hearing what my opinion on what a deacon should be, I want us to spend some time today looking at Scripture. Let's let Scripture define that, that role and, and the way they are to operate so that we're all on the same page, right? We want to always go back to the Word rather than just leaning on past understanding. It's good for us to, to let the Lord work in us, right? To, to help us to understand things the way that He would have us understand it. And, and, as, and we all, as we all know, as we grow, those understandings change, right? Our understanding of who God is gets deeper and deeper. We understand Him in a better way. And so all that is true in every area of our life, particularly in the area of service to the church. So this gives us a chance to get on that same page. Um, we spent the last couple of weeks looking at um, the historical role of elders in, in, in Scripture, starting in the Old Testament, moving into the New. Um, and one of the things that we really talked a lot about is this idea of progressive growth to becoming more and more like Jesus. That as we look at that list of qualifications that we'll look at again today in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, both the qualifications for elders and for deacons, we're going to look at the one for deacons today, that the idea is not that we have attained those things, but that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through our daily walk with the Lord, that we are progressively moving in that direction with the ultimate goal of all believers is to become like Christ. That's what Scripture calls for all of us to do, and that is certainly true for elders and for deacons. Um, as we look at this today, you're also going to notice that the qualifications for a deacon are, are very, very similar to that as an elder. We're going to look at those differences today um, and, and get an understanding of why they're different. Okay, so let's start today by, by looking at the beginning of this ministry role that we see in the New Testament by looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. 
said, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among, your, among you seven men of good rep- reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had, um, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's two words I, wanna, I want us to kind of highlight from this passage today. The first one is the last word in verse 1, which is translated as distribution. The second one I want us to see is the one toward the end of verse 2 that's translated as to wait. Both of these words, and, and I want to say again, I don't get joy out of looking at Greek words. Okay, That is not my forte, but it is important for, for what we're doing today and what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. But the root word there is diaconus. Okay? This, this passage is the first appearance of what we understand as deacons, and it's the best place for us to start today as we discuss the role of deacons. So I want to start today by us understanding the role of a deacon. The primary responsibility of the diaconate, which is the office of deacon, is to serve the body, okay? It is to serve the body, and we're going to define that as we move through this today. There was a need in the early church for the men and the women to attend to the needs of the church. These two words that we just looked at in verse 1 and verse 2 can also be translated as assistance or to serve, respectively, as they appear in the text. As the church grew, so did the need for ministry. And I love when I was in college, I think it was in one of Talitha's class, we define ministry simply as meeting needs. Okay, so when we hear that word, when I hear the word ministry, it is meeting needs. And and we know as we studied uh, several years ago through the book of Acts, and, and you've probably in your own study of that book seen that as the church is growing exponentially, that there's this exponential need Um, to meet the needs of these new people in the church. So the apostles gather up the body and instruct them to appoint uh, some from among them that can make sure that all the needs were taken care of and that they were taken care of in the proper way. We see that diaconate serving in this example, making sure that the widows were being properly taken care of. But we see a more generalized view of their service in other passages. In in short, when we look at that, that role, it's to take care of the physical needs of the church. This is where we see our most clear distinction between elders and deacons. You see in this passage that we see the overseers, we see the apostles, whose primary focus is on spiritual matters, on the sharing of the gospel. And the deacons are servants in the church who are appointed and whose primary focus is on tending to the physical needs of the body. We get these words um, deacon and deaconess, and I'll use those both today, um, from the Greek word diakonos, which translates to servants or ministers in the church. Okay? In other words, those are the people who are in charge of meeting the needs of the body. So I want to look at some examples of other places that we see that, that root word diakonos in Scripture. We see it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Then the devil left them, and the angels came and began to serve him. This is when Jesus has spent his 40 days fasting in the desert. And so after that time, the angels come and they meet the needs of Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, 
He must be last and servant of all. This is where they're walking along the road and Jesus realizes that the disciples are having a conversation about who among them is the best, who's the favorite. Um, as a family of four, I was one of four siblings, I'm familiar with that conversation, right? And if you grew up in a big family, you may be as well. But again, Jesus is saying the, the, the one that is the, is the best is the one who serves his brothers and sisters. John chapter 12, verse 2. So they gave a dinner for, them, for him there, and Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of, one of those reclining at the table. Again, this idea of meeting the needs. Martha is there attending to the needs of the guest at the table. Luke chapter 10, verses 40. This is one that we all are familiar with, right? We like to villainize uh, one of these particular characters. But it says, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Again, growing up in a big family and having a lot of children, I'm familiar with this argument. Dad, they're not helping, right? But again, the focus here is on this idea of serving. And then lastly, John chapter 12, verse 26, it says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will soon honor him. In all of those places, in all of those scriptures, we see that same root word. And that's important for us because as we're thinking about the role of a deacon, what I want our hearts and our minds to go back to is this idea of service, of attending to the needs of the body. I wanted us to look at the examples, and, and there are thousands more. We could have spent our whole half hour, 45 minutes today just looking at examples of this word, but that would be a little overkill, I think, okay? But I wanted us to look at this because I want us to understand, I want us to be on the same page of what the role of a deacon is. Most people uh, have had church experience where deacons acted in the role of an elder. They ran the church, and in some cases were even in leadership over the pastor, but that's not what we see in Scripture. In all these verses, we see this word describing men and women, and even angels, taking care of the physical needs of the other people that are listed in that passage. We also see Paul use this word in his letter to Philippians, and, and I, I point this out because Paul calls out these two different roles. He, in Philippians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Paul is mentioning both of those roles specifically. And if they serve the same role, he would not have a need to do that, right? And I don't want you to get confused by seeing that where it says servants of Jesus Christ. That word there used for servants is doulos, which means slave or bondservant. Okay, Paul is simply communicating to the church that he and Timothy are under the complete control of Jesus. And that the authority that he is writing to them to the elders and to the deacons is under the authority as a bondservant of Christ, okay? So why is it important for us to make such a clear distinction? It's important because we all have been, been called here to this body from different denominations, from different backgrounds, from different histories. And it's important that our church understands um, who is in what role and why they are there, right? Because we are a melting pot of a lot of different people from a lot of different places, I want us to have opportunity to look at Scripture together and understand what it means to be a deacon at the gathering place. When we addressed this two years ago, we also talked about the fact that both men and women are able to serve in this capacity. It's been interesting for me in the Baptist circle that I'm, I'm part of that often it comes up that our church has women 
serving in this role. There's a particular pastor whose daughter is one of our deacons who often brings this up when we're in those circles, and I think he does that because he's really proud of her, um, and he wants people to know um, the type of woman that she is, okay? I think this also gets brought up because culturally it's not the norm for where we live. However, it's easy to see in Scripture that it would have been normal for women to be servant leaders in the church. Look with me at Romans chapter 16. We looked at this two years ago when we, when we first uh, brought deacons into our church. Romans 16 verses 1 through 2. And it's an example of Paul recommending a woman to be placed in leadership as a deacon. It says this, I command to you, or commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, servant of the church. And I'm not going to be able to say that right. Connect Ray. I don't know. Figure it out on yourself. Verse 2. So, you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Again, we see that same word diakonos in verse 1. Phoebe is presented here not as a member, but as a deacon. Paul presents her in the role in which she has already been serving in her previous church. And I also want to point out, we talked about this last time because it's significant, that there was not a man that was introduced with her. Her leadership is not based on anything other than her call from God. And Paul very clearly affirms that by presenting her on her own. And I bring that up because when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 in a minute, the way it's worded, it has caused people to think that a, that a woman can only serve in that role if her husband is also serving in that role. And that's not what we see Paul doing here. She's not just a deacon because her husband worked. She held that position based on her own merit as a person, as a follower of Christ. Paul is telling the church in Rome that she's been serving as a deacon, has helped many, and that they should assist her in anything that she may need in her ministry. The role of the deacon was vital in the life of the church. Their service to the body can take a lot of shapes, and, but all of them are important and all of them are needed. Just to kind of give you some practical examples, practical examples of what a deacon or deaconess might be doing is taking care of the church building. Um, yard work around the church was brought up recently. Picking up or bringing others to and from the church. Uh, ensuring that those who are sick are taken care of. And I know our life groups do a great job of that, but man, what a great thing to have somebody who's also tasked with taking care of that. Setting up, cleaning up for events, things like that. The list can go on and on, but basically any need that arises in the church should be brought to the attention of the deacons. Deacons work in concert with the elders in taking care of the church. Both are very, very vital and needed in our body, but they are different roles. Because of the ministry of the deacons, the elders can focus on their calling and vice versa, right? I want to finish out this section by reading Acts 6, 7 again because I want us to draw your attention to what happens when, when the leadership is working in the way that God has ordained for it to do. Look at verse 7 again. It says, So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. See, the church grew when the gospel was being shared and when the needs of the people were being met. We see Jesus living this example before us in his ministry, that everywhere he went, that he's meeting both the physical and the spiritual the needs that he, of the people that he came in contact with. Now, we're not Jesus, right? So we've got to kind of separate that out a little bit and let one group take care of one thing and one group take care of another. But I want us to see the beauty of this. We talk about this all the time at the Gathering Place, about what it means to do life together. Part of doing life together is seeing the needs in your brother and sister's lives 
and helping with that as God calls you to do so, right? Is to be a part of that body. And, and being a deacon or a deaconess is just an official way of, of affirming that a brother or sister is called to do that. The next thing I want to talk about today is the qualifications of deacons and deaconesses. Let's look back at 1 Timothy and see the characteristics that a deacon and deaconess should possess. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. It says, Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove themselves blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives likewise should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their households competently. For those who served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and a great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I want to just point out real quick in verse 11, because I told you this was, was there. When it says wives, that word often is also translated as women. It is a generic term, okay? I made a little chart. Anna's going to throw it up on the screen for me. Hopefully it, it's readable. Eh, kind of. Okay, um, here's what I did, because this is, this is helpful for me, is on one side is all the qualifications of an elder, and on the other side, I see everybody doing like this, I'm really sorry, I can't even read it back there. Um, on one side is the elders, and on the other side is the deacons. The things that are highlighted in blue are the same or very, very similar uh, qualifications. The things that are in green are similar, kind of in the same realm, and then the things that are white are um, are. Um, specific to that particular calling. As we look at those lists, we see that, that a lot are the same, and we've already spent two Sundays looking at the qualifications of an elder, so we're not going to go through those that are exactly the same, but I do want to give you a brief explanation of a few of these, and I know that it's hard to read up there, but you can look at it in, in your Bible if you want, um, looking at verses 8 through 13. The first thing I want to talk about is this qualification of holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. This mystery of faith that he's talking about here, the things that were once unknown but now have been revealed uh, and made plain by Jesus, this, this is reference to Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all Gentiles. Paul is saying that those that serve as deacons know God, that it is no longer a mystery. When it says that they hold fast this mystery of faith, it's that they understand it. They understand what the prophets had been prophesying for so long that the Messiah was coming. So they know God by salvation and are living in pursuit of Christ. The next thing it says, they must also be tested first if they, approve, if they prove to be blameless. Then they can serve as deacons. This is very similar to what we talked about in the last qualification for, for elders when it says that they should be um, uh, well approved of by, I don't, I've forgotten the, the phrasing now. You know what I'm talking about. Um, it's the same sentiment that for, for, for them that when, the, when people look at the testimony of their lives, that they see that that person is a person who is who they say they are and lives the way they say that they live, Okay. They're, they're looking at their lives and, and they're asking themselves, does their, their life and their actions, do they, do they line up? And the answer should be yes. The next thing is faithful in everything. Paul is wanting to make sure that the deacons are trustworthy. 
that when they say they're going to do something, that they'll do it. Well, and, and that they'll handle the tasks that have been entrusted to them. So when a, when a person becomes a deacon, they are saying, God has called me to serve the church. And so when we're looking at that person, what they should be striving for is being faithful in everything. The next thing is husband of one wife. Now, we talked about this with elders, but I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. That Paul is writing specifically to a church who is in a culture that encouraged polygamy. And so what Paul is saying here, his intent, is that the leaders of the church would be committed to one, right? That they would, they would live in a relationship with one person. This, this, again, this is literally translated as a one-woman man. The second thing we need to remember is that culturally only men were addressed in Scripture. Anytime in Scripture you see a number like the feeding of the 5,000, that was 5,000 men. That was just the way their culture worked. But the sentiment here is the same for both men and women, that they should be in a committed relationship with one spouse if they're married. It does not mean that they must be married, but if they are, they should be committed to that relationship. Just like elders, deacons are held by God to a very high standard. Paul is, is giving these qualifications in order to protect the church. God wants to make sure that those that are in leadership are the right kind of people. They are people that are called by God to serve in those roles. Being a deacon or a deaconess is just like being an elder and that it is a call from God. It's not something that, that you look at that qualification or you think about the things around the church that need to be done and you say, I have the ability to do those things, therefore I should be a deacon. That is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that if God is calling you to this, then you should pursue it. I, I've seen, been a part of, or been told of many, many churches who um, elect deacons based on their abilities, their social status, their wealth, their prominence in the church. And often when that happens, those men are serving out of a place of their own wisdom and their own self-preservation. And their first thought is not of the church, it is of themselves. I'm not making a blanket statement that any deacon in any other church is that way. But I have experienced that, and I'm sure that you have as well. And that is why we take such care and such time to talk about the role of deacons and deaconesses in the gathering place. Okay? As elders, it's our responsibility to protect the body and to uphold this, the distinctives that God has given us. That's why, we, that's why we take this time. Okay? Our church is the way it is. It feels the way it feels because those that are in leadership, whether they're a deacon or an elder, are not thinking about themselves. Their goal is to pursue the Lord and to be obedient to Him, and the body will benefit from that. Okay? So two years ago when we first did this, prior to that, we'd only had staff and elders. Now, deacons were in our guiding documents. It was there that we could have that, but I, and I can't say this officially, but from my perspective, I think that for a long time we did not have deacons because of the hurt that had been caused in years prior for, for people that were in that role that should not have been, okay? So two years ago, God uh, led us as elders to, to begin this process of uh, electing deacons and deaconesses or affirming them, and we have. We have quite a few now. Um, some of them have gone to, to uh, Colleen, but since we're here, since we're in this passage, the Spirit has said, now is the time to do this again. And so as we move forward as, in talking about elders, we're also going to affirm deacons at the same time, okay? So um, as we bring in more deacons to join our existing ones, you're going to see them serving in areas as God has called them to do so. And I bring this up because um, somebody asked me last time, they were praying about it, and they said, well, I need to ask you this question before we move forward. I said, yes. He said, 
if I become a deacon, are you going to like put me in charge of kitchen maintenance? I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. And that was a really good question, right? Because they didn't want to make the assumption that, or they didn't want to think that I was just going to, or the other elders say, okay, here's your area that you have to focus on, right? In our new member training, we talk about how we are a church that is organic in how we do things. And what that means is that I'm not going to go to a deacon. Now, if a toilet is overflowing, I may come to go to a deacon and say, hey, can you handle that? I got to go preach real quick, right? That may happen, okay? But I'm not going to come to you and say, you are in charge of lawn mowing. Congratulations. The only way to get out of it is die, okay? That's because that's typically how when you volunteer for something in the church, you got to die to get out of it, okay? That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Our goal, just like everything, is that our leaders and our church members would pray and pursue the Lord and do only what God's telling you to do, okay? If that means that the grass gets tall because we're still waiting on the Lord or waiting on somebody to listen to the Lord, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so you're not going to just be assigned to ministry as a deacon or as an elder. Now, I did share with you guys last week, I think it was, about Jacob Crump, and, and I felt led by the Holy Spirit to ask him, if he would consider being over life groups as a role, as an elder. And he's like, actually, God's already been speaking to me that, but it wasn't time to tell you yet. And I was like, well, all right, there we go. So that's, that's how that works, just so everybody understands. Because you become a deacon or because you become an elder, there is responsibility that comes with that, obviously. The responsibility is your call to ministry, to be obedient to the Lord, not to will has just assigned you a task. Okay? Everybody clear on that? Okay. So... As you're considering and praying about those that God is calling to this ministry, remember that God doesn't, and I know y'all have heard this before, this is not my saying, but God doesn't necessarily call the equipped, but he always equips the called, right? I know that's a little cheesy and played out, but it's true, right? That just because you have, and I, I, I'm harping on this because I, I've had many friends who have taken positions at churches, whether they were staff or other who have said, well, I've got all the things they need in my toolbox, so obviously God's telling me to do that. And that is not the case. I'm really good at fixing stuff. But when I came on board as an elder, I had a lot of conversations with our elders because my desire was to fix all of those things. And especially as I became pastor, God kept saying, no, Will, don't. There's a lot of unfinished projects around here. And as a, as a person, those things bother me. But God does not release me to do that because what that does is if I take the time to do that, it takes time away from this. And that's out of, out of the way it should be, okay? So as we are praying about this, as you are praying about this, don't put limits on yourself and say, well, I don't have any skills that are necessarily helpful for the body. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is men and women that are called to serve the body. And you're going to figure out very quickly that you can do a lot more than what you think you can do because you're going to be relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and not on your own, okay? So God is calling men and women that are in love with him and have a desire to fulfill their role in the body as a servant leader. That is what a deacon is, okay? Now, lastly, the last thing that we've been talking about for a long time is the process of affirming elders and deacons, right? So what's the process? How do we get there? I do need to give a little disclaimer here, okay? I've been trying to meet with Glenn for a couple of weeks, and due to him being exposed to COVID and my work schedule, it has just not worked out. The reason I wanted to meet with him is we have in our guiding documents a very, very specific process in which this works. And as you read those, it's very, very obvious that those were written when all the Donahue stuff was happening. Like, there's stuff like when we 
count the votes. We have to have a legal third party present at all times. It's just, it's, it's a lot, okay? But it was necessary at that time, but we're not in that place anymore. And so the reason I wanted to meet with Glenn is so that we can kind of walk through what this process is going to look like for us now, because we haven't done that necessarily in the past with all of those legal aspects included, okay? So what that's going to look like in the future, I'm going to give you the, the generic, like, here's kind of how the the ball rolls, okay? He and I are going to get together and, and rewrite all that and present it to the elders and then also to you guys before that happens. But here is the basic process of how an elder um, is affirmed by the body, and the process is going to be very similar for a deacon, okay? So step number one is when God speaks to the eldership that it's time to bring on elders or deacons, we're going to request that the body, the body begin asking God who he is calling to that ministry. We're already in step one, Okay? We've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. I've been saying God has called us. He's told it's time to bring on some new elders. And so we've been talking about that and praying about that together. Now, that does not mean that every time that happens, that we're going to hit the pause button and do a study on 1 Timothy chapter 3. We might. I don't know. That's been the case the last two times, but that may not always be the case. Okay? So as part of that process, here's how that can, here's how that can happen is... Um, a specific person can be asked by the elders to pray about becoming an elder, which is, was the case with Carrie Westbrook. As we were praying about this, God put it on my heart and on Glenn's to ask Carrie to pray about that, the taking on that uh, consideration, um, and he has done so. It can also happen that a member of the local church of, of this body can recommend someone as the Holy Spirit leads. Again, that also has happened in the case of Carrie Westbrook. I've shared that with you guys that members have come to me and said, I feel like God's put Carrie on my heart. So wonderful. Okay. The last way is that a person can, can ask the elders to be considered for the position. Okay. So let me break those down in real three simple ways. All right. Just, I'm going to put in some plain language because that's a very wordy and I know that. Okay. The first way that it can happen is that we can ask somebody to pray about that. Okay. The second way is somebody in the body can say, the Lord's put this person on my heart. And then the third way is a person can come to us and say, I've been praying about this and I feel like God is saying that I'm supposed to be an elder, which has been the case with Jacob Crump. Okay. So the second thing, second step, step number two is all those names that have been brought into consideration have to be approved by the sitting elders. Okay. So what that means is that whether it's an elder or a deacon, those names are compiled. You come tell me, I make a list, and I bring it to the elders, and we pray over that. And, and that is a very important part of the process. Again, as I mentioned a while ago, part of our, our job as elders is to protect the church, right? And so as we're praying through that, God may highlight or we may know something about that person's life that says they're not quite there yet. They're not quite ready. And so that gives us an opportunity to do that, okay? The third step is that the elders, after we've prayed, and God has spoken on the, that list of names that we have, is that we're going to present those approved men and women to the church um, for, for the role of elder or for deacon um, and have an, an official time of prayer and questioning, which typically lasts two weeks. That two weeks is for all of us, whether we're praying about men and women for deacons or for about men for eldership. We're taking that two weeks as a body for all of us to pray about what the elders have already been praying about and feel like they've gotten a word from the Lord on to affirm that these men in the place of elders are called to that, that this is who God has for the church. And then also in the case of deacons and deaconesses, that these men and women have been called to that body. And if, it, and if during that time of, of prayer and questioning, if you're uncertain about somebody, that's your opportunity to have a conversation with them or to have a conversation with the elders about that. And if something comes up and we need longer than two weeks, that's okay. Right now in COVID, we might need more than two weeks, right? Because stuff happens. 
And so if it needs to take longer than two weeks, it certainly can. But we try to keep it to two weeks because that's, we lose focus beyond that. Okay? So the fourth thing is after all of that, okay, after a time of prayer and questioning, there'll be a vote of affirmation from the membership. So after that two-week period on a Sunday morning, well, during our regular meeting time, we'll say, okay, guys, we've been praying about these men for elders, and we'll have a vote of affirmation like you've experienced before, okay? And then after that affirmation, after that vote, those that have been called to the role of elder will immediately assume that role. Same thing for deacons and deaconesses. We vote, you're in, it's done, okay? Nothing else has to happen. Now, in the case of an elder, if they've not previously been ordained, we will, as soon as possible, have an ordination service for them. So that is the basic outline of how we affirm elders in our church and deacons and deaconesses in our church, okay? So if you feel like God is calling you to be an elder or a deacon, please let me know. Now is that time, okay? Um, And and so, so that... Um, again, the elders and I can pray about those, about those that have been brought to our attention. So if you feel called or if you have someone on your heart that, that is, the Lord has put there that they need to serve either as an elder or as a deacon, please let me know as soon as possible, okay? If you feel that through prayer, uh, God has put it on your heart or someone else's, let me know. Well, that'll give us time to, um, to pray over those, okay? And if anybody has further questions or needs clarification on how this process works, uh, I certainly will answer those questions, and, and we'll do that in a few minutes. So let's pray together, um, and then we'll worship a little bit more. Father, I'm thankful for uh, a church body that's flexible, that is um, more interested in pursuing you than, than anything else. Um, God, I know I've certainly felt a lot of pressure to do this correctly, um, but God, I find, I find peace in the fact that um, this church isn't relying simply on me but on you to guide us, on these elders to guide us. Father, this is a significant time in our church. It's a significant time in how we develop who we are. Um, It's a significant time for us to to affirm the men and women that you have to put in leadership in this body. So Father, I I ask that all of us um, would take this time very seriously, that we would devote time daily to pray, for those that that you are calling, that you would reveal those names to us and that you would prepare us for the work of ministry. Father, I ask that you would protect our body as we move through this process, that only the the men and the women that you have called to lead our body would be put into those leadership positions. Father, we ask for all of these things because we want to be the church that you have called us to be. We want to be able to minister to both the spiritual and the physical needs of the brothers and sisters that you have in this body, but also those that you intend to bring into this body as we grow. So, Father, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your wisdom, and we ask for your leadership in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.